वेलकम टू सिंटॉक सिंटॉकस अराउंड द टेबल टुडे डिस्कस द अपीयरेंसेस ऑफ नॉलेज विल थिंक हाउ द नेचर ऑफ नॉलेज इग्नोरेंस सरप्राइज problems risks mistakes and skills differ across disciplines how do we construct our nature what are the different modes of perception in what ways does the outward appearance of disciplines differ from each other might some disciplinary addresses be accidents what is a painter's knowledge can some disciplines be partly or fully reduced to others how do new disciplines take birth how do disciplines fashion themselves how is science today different from 200 years ago and what is the very long term future of disciplinary boundaries and entities we are pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers with us here today professor prajit pasu who teaches philosophy at university of hyderabad Professor Sabya Sachi Bhattacharya is a physicist at TIFR Mumbai and Dr. Geev Patel who's a painter and a writer is also been a general practitioner of medicine in the past he lives in Mumbai Rajit, why don't we set the ball rolling with you, um, and maybe we'll open a few flanks and see how they go. I mean, are there is there a way in which we can say there are these many types of ignorance? Are there types of ignorance, just as there might be types of knowledge? Is there a way of categorizing knowledge, and conversely, uh, ignorance? Um, generally, a philosopher. Um, when she or he looks at science um she recognizes that let's say uh, in the past 200 to 50 uh, years mm-hmm. um modern science uh, as it emerged it attempted to represent nature that that was the primary focus so scientific endeavor was an attempt to uh, provide true description as much as possible um of nature and that is a representational uh, um endeavor right um what has happened in the last 50 years is that uh, there has been a kind of a significant shift mm-hmm. from uh, a representational um performance or activity um to what might be called um manipulative and this is not a pejorative sense of manipulation sure. um a manipulative uh, um actionable knowledge production now when we when we look at these two in modes, what sense do you use the word manipulative manipulative in the sense that um there 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 are several sort of layers of manipulation one layer is dependent upon um the knowledge that we have already produced through science mm-hmm. use that knowledge mm-hmm. to produce uh, either a new process or new entities and so on and people had always thought 
that this is what technology is all about. So science comes first, followed by technology. Sure. What has happened is that um, it's not that uh, science doesn't continue to provide knowledge to, uh, um, to be made applicable in different areas, but it's also the case that within science, there has been uh, a way of... Uh, um, working out a, an interesting uh, deviant form of um, knowledge production. And when I say deviant, deviant in the sense of being non-representational. And what I have in mind is producing um, certain kinds of stable phenomena that's not there in the nature and expecting that production of such stable phenomena uh, gives us certain kinds of access to nature. So what would be a stable, non-natural slash synthetic phenomena as an example? Um, the mo most celebrated one in the last two years is the Higgs boson experiment. Right. So, uh, but even otherwise, I mean, suppose some, someone were to say that I'm going to test this hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, one begins to realize that in order to test the hypothesis, you'll have to produce a phenomenon in isolation. You don't test merely by observing. You test by creating a phenomenon. Yes. And then observing yes. or then recording yes. or then analyzing. Yes. Would, would plastics be an example of non-natural uh, uh, intervention? Um, primarily speaking, yes. Um, but one has to look at, uh, you know, in, in, in the past where the plastics were in some way produced in nature and was available to us. Uh, and uh, since in history of technology, we don't have such, a, uh, um, such knowledge, we, we, we would, and this is where it, the ignorance comes in, kicks in in one sense, that we don't know in the past whether plastic as a material was available to us. We know that certain kinds of raisins were available to us. Now, that is, again, a polymeric material. Right. Um, now, plastic similarly could have been produced by nature by pure luck or coincidence, and people might have, you know, figured out how to make it subsequently and so on. Uh, so, at, at one level, the uh, plastic is human-made, and if you look at in the last 100 years, that's what it is, that it is a human-made material. Rajit, the point you're making just now is that somewhere in the mid-20th century, there's this shift of sorts, not shift necessarily, but also this emergence of techno-science or something, something to that effect. Right. Where... right. And does that also conversely change science? Um, that's, that's actually an interesting question. The reason is that... Uh, uh, the temptation is to say yes, and mm. here is why. Mm. Because if we look at uh, the, the representational view of science, mm -hmm. uh, one of the features of this scientific activity is that it provides us with understanding of nature. Mm -hmm. And if we pay attention to this notion of understanding, mm -hmm. we, we will see that uh, uh, we can give a formal picture of this understanding. At least we can try to provide a formal picture. Mm -hmm. And we do that... Uh, at least in, in, in philosophy, by uh, showing that there is certain kind of explanatory connection 
between theory on the one hand and the phenomena that the nature provides us with or we produce in the laboratory. Mm-hmm. And uh, these kinds of uh, logical, quasi-logical, formal, quasi-formal relation is what uh, uh, gives us a sense of understanding as to why things have happened or why I'm able to produce this phenomenon in the laboratory. Sure, sure. Successfully. Uh, <clears throat> this actually then again uh, goes on to uh, underscore that for us uh, in the representational context, theory is, uh, uh, is a set of sentences, is a set of propositions. Mm-hmm. Because only a proposition can be tested. Mm-hmm. The very nature of science understood that way, that we, I've got a proposition about the world and I'm going to now test it by uh, either merely observing or by doing experiments of certain sorts and see but, the connection. But Prajit, yeah. science is not a monolithic thing, right? So, I mean, for example, if I think of biology and one would ordinarily kind of put it in science, well, I mean, you're probably not doing a lot of these things, right? You're kind of maybe observing them at closer quarters and using technology to a different effect. But... Is there an equivalent of techno-science happening in something like biology as well? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually tempted to say that. Mm-hmm. And the reason reason is that, and this gets connected to the question of understanding that we sure. were talking about. Now, if you, if you look at uh, um, a different sense of understanding, one of the things that happens is that if I have been able to, let's say, produce a phenomenon or an effect mm-hmm. and stabilize it, meaning thereby... Uh, shown how it can be produced, reproduced, and so on, then that itself is supposed to provide an understanding as to how nature works. Right. Now, notice that this is not to be con- conflated with the the formal account of understanding which gets connected to the notion of explanation, which is a connection between the theory and the phenomenon. Right. And it, it is done at the level of language. Right. But this is not at the level of language. Right. Right. That's so, very interesting. So, so that that's something that's happening with what I would call techno science. But there are other aspects of techno science, but this is this is one. Um, in the context of uh, uh, pre nineteen fifties representational science, ignorance is always that the world is a totality of facts. Mm-hmm. And, Wittgenstein. Wittgenstein, yeah, <laughs> and we know only so so many a finite set. Mm-hmm. And from the finite set, we are making a judgment about the um, the world at large. Mm-hmm. And since this finite set is a very small subset of the totality of facts... So why don't we go back to the first question I started off with? Are, are there different kinds of ignorance? Surely there are, right? Right. So I was coming to that. So the the fact that we are, we are always going to be, uh, uh, um, strictly speaking, logically speaking, falling short of an appropriate description about the world, there is a sense of ignorance. Oh. That we, we are never going to be there. We can, oh. And we can use the notion of approximate truth and so on, but that's what it is. It's an approximate truth. Hmm. So would you say that science was more approximate and techno-science is in some way... Um, okay. I don't know whether, right. whether uh, the right um, word is precise or I, I don't know. No, I don't know. I don't know whether I want to call it precise. I, what I want want to be able to say is that because you've used this notion of stability, um, stable, non-natural phenomenon. Um, right, right. Uh, 
one one way to understand stability is to say that uh, this is something that is reproducible across space. I don't want to yet say about time across space, meaning in different laboratories sure. you can the produce. The same thing it. would happen. Yes. Okay. Now, but this is not the same as the universality claim. Sure, sure, sure. sure okay. So sure. I want to make that distinction. I think there's some interesting ideas there, Prajit, which we'll revisit and see how they open up. Um, why don't we go to you, Shobo? Um, does the word ignorance have a specific resonance for you? What is ignorance for you? So, I mean, I'm speaking a little uh, non-seriously. Mm-hmm. Ignorance is my normal sense, you know, status, <laughs> that I'm mostly ignorant. But beyond that, I think what I'd like to say is that to me, ignorance is the first step of a continuum that consists of knowledge. And the reason I, I feel that way is because uh, whether it happens before or after, you cannot acquire knowledge. And now I'm talking about acquiring knowledge rather than establishing knowledge. Acquiring knowledge cannot begin unless you have formulated a statement about your ignorance, which is answered by a set of investigation that could hopefully That's lead to knowledge. And, and your use of the word continuum is deliberate, Shobo. Absolutely deliberate. Yeah. Because I think uh, the way, you know, I only speak of a functioning uh, scientist, you know, practicing yeah. scientist. I would say that, you know, looking at my personal experience of doing science is that, uh, you know, there are ignorance of various kinds which you cannot classify a priori. Whether a question was a good question to have asked is not known a priori. But there has to be some formulation of a question that will direct an investigation that could result in answers, as Professor Basu said about um, nature. Mm. So natural sciences, leaving aside social sciences, natural sciences have always been about finding out about nature. But what is the question? What is it that you find out? So, I mean, is there? I mean, do you That's want to venture the, in that direction at all of the nature of ignorance? Yeah. So I, I could, um, and that is what I would say is that you know it's a common statement among Frank, you know, practicing scientists is that half the battle is to ask the right question, mm. and maybe more than half the battle is mm. to ask the right question, and you may not know that it's the right question. What would unless, be an example of a right question? Um, trivial, I'll, I'll give you yeah. okay. So I was uh, the other thing I was going to say Please. because you know Give is here mm. is that I also think that uh, in our uh, actual day to day functioning of science, there are emotions that are involved which we normally do not associate with a dry subject about finding out about the nature, yeah. which seems like a very cut and dry. Yeah, <laughs> but. Are you know driving impulses are um, very frequently aesthetic, and it involves uh, inspiration. It involves. I'm using these vague words because these vague words, I think, are very commonly shared in the knowledge space of all kinds of knowledge: inspiration, imagination, 
and um, and uh, what I would say is, um, you know, the formulation of the question is, I would say, a good question, may be decided after the fact. Frequently, when you have arrived at, a, at an answer which wasn't the answer to the question you asked, you now find that this is an answer to, to a, a much question, more interesting, interesting question, question. That's that in the beginning you were not able to articulate. Mm. So, therefore, I would say that I think of progression of knowledge, acquiring of knowledge, not transmitting of knowledge. Oh. Acquiring of knowledge is really a battle or sort of changing side back and forth, back and forth between ignorance and knowledge, ignorance and knowledge in a continuous iteration. It's not as sure-footed as one would. Correct. So mm -hmm. I would say that if I were completely ignorant, I would probably won't even know. Knowing that you are ignorant <laughs> is the first step towards perhaps getting some knowledge. So to my mind, you know, um, it comes from a kind of a conviction that what we call scientific activity in its functional form, practicing form, is rather similar to all other creative impulses that we have in all other forms. Okay, but we can get to the scientific method, etc., etc. And that comes into the establishment of knowledge that can, about which we can have some objectivity or that even people's subjective understanding could have some consensus that it can be transmitted and what Professor Basu talked about, about technology, that it can allow us to do things not done by nature. You turn the switch on, the light went on. Yeah. You know, that, you know, 400 years ago would not have been possible, right? That we understand this exceedingly well gives you faith that this conversation will be tapeable, yeah. will be transmittable. Yeah. And that's technology. I'm, I'm saying that there is a step beyond behind that, which is the question. And there, ignorance is not just an ignorance and knowledge and not just black and white. It's not even gray. They're completely intermingled. So it's every new knowledge produces a new ignorance. And then you try to un answer that and get another knowledge. I'll just give you one example. Please. And this is not to say, the, I'll, I'll give you an example, my favorite example of what might be beautiful. So we know why the earth goes around the sun. We mm -hmm. know gravity, gravitational mm -hmm. interaction. But we also know that the tides are primarily affected by the moon. Okay? Yeah. And why is that so is not quite obvious. And for this, do you require a new kind of force? You know, in high school books, it will be called tidal forces. Yeah. Is it a different thing from That's gravity? Just a word. Yeah. The answer is no. Yeah. It's really gravitation. And it's the difference between the attraction of the moon from one side of the earth to the other side of the earth that makes the difference, which is why water rises. Okay. 
So it wouldn't be so bad as to make a first attempt to say, I want to understand this as a mystery. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do I need some new concepts? Mm-hmm. And the concepts you knew are very little. It's Newton's gravitation does the job. Mm-hmm. But it requires an investigation to understand that. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I, are you suggesting that Newton's laws are not sufficient to explain tidal phenomena? No, no, it is. It is. It is. You just put everything together mm-hmm. and you just realize that sun is very far away mm-hmm. and sun forces on earth does not vary. Mm-hmm. If sun was the only only thing affecting, our water would be at the exactly same level because right. the difference is very little. Right. Moon is much closer, even though it's a smaller object. Yeah. Its force, depending on whether it's on one side of the earth or the other side of the earth or you know on the, this side, yeah. that force varies a- enough yeah. so that the water, which has to follow the gravitational potential, yeah. rises or falls. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sun has an sure. effect, but it's sure. smaller. So it's the same gravitational principle involving now the two different bodies, Earth and Moon, rather than Earth and the Sun. Yeah. Putting Newton's formula, Newton found out the answer, by the way. Sure. Right. Okay. So, you know, it is this kind, this is just an example. Of what I think is bo- both an example of an initial surprise, which lead, you know, which tells you that you are ignorant to some extent. Was this a matter of huge surprise at that moment in time that tidal forces, tidal phenomena could be explained, had yeah. anything to do with the moon yeah, at so all? There is, I do not know the veracity of what I'm about to tell you. There's sure. a mythology that Newton claimed that he went to the Brighton beach, measured the tidal forces, put mm. it in his equation and showed that it works. Mm. Rumor has it that he never went to Brighton, never measured anything. He, he had was such so incredible, fact <laughs> incredible faith and belief and conviction about what he said to be right. right. That this was all fictitious. I, I mean, this this again takes us into a different territory sure, of, sure. of you, know, this, you know this fuzziness and some sure. somewhat uh, you know um, non-typical. Well, you know, science is not so hard and fast. It involves all kinds of this. Activities, that sort of thing. Interesting show book. So that's, uh, you know, a a way I can deal with the ignorance. So to me, ignorance is not such a bad word. Ignorance, I would say, is the first step that you need to know. What I would say is, is terrible and it's not absent in our society is the fact that one doesn't even know that one is ignorant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. And uh, Gibe, over to you, right? I think we've touched upon ideas of science, technoscience, had some feeling for the apparent non-sure-footedness of uh, science. May, may, I, may I pick up the yes, ignorance please. thread? Please. <clears throat> uh, I'm making an extreme statement, and then maybe I'll kind of... Uh, temper ho- it. In. Yes, temper <laughs> it a little. Uh, my extreme statement is that uh, if I had total knowledge... Mm-hmm. I would create the universe. Mm-hmm. I, I being like a painter or just uh, you as no, a person? No, uh, give Patel. Give Patel. Uh, or anybody else. Sure. Uh, total knowledge, you know, would result in the creation of a universe. Mm-hmm. Because that would be the expression of total knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that I can't create the universe 
is the first step of my knowing that I'm ignorant. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, this is very salutary, as uh, Shobha also pointed out, uh, this knowledge. Because then I begin to uh, uh, colonize areas of knowledge. Uh, starting from my uh, uh, moment of total ignorance. Mm-hmm. And I kind of... Is, is there such a moment at all? I mean, what do you mean by total ignorance? I'm, I'm, I'm contrasting, you know, uh, total knowledge, which would sure. create a universe, sure. to total ignorance, which would be totally ineffectual. Yeah. And so then I, I then kind of, you know, begin to colonize. Now, uh, uh, having made this extreme statement, uh, I'll temper it a little and put it, uh, you know, like an example, you know, like um, um, I often have a feeling, you know, when I'm, when I'm want to do a painting or when I want to write a poem that, you know, uh, I'm trying to know something. I know, and I know, and and this is not necessarily the case with every artist. I think uh, motivations uh, for for artwork are are enormously different and very very varied. But for me, this is very important. That uh, I'm trying to understand something. I'm trying to know something, and uh, very often it is uh, uh, like something that's just out of my reach, and and in which I'm extremely interested. But does it does it stay ineffable? Do you know what it well, is I'll, that you I'll, don't I'll, know? I'll give, I'll give a very solid example. You know, yeah. Um, I'm um, I'm I've always been fascinated by clouds. Mm-hmm. I love the Bombay monsoon. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, uh, between say the months of uh, uh, late May mm-hmm. to September, the Bombay skies are a theater. You know. You, you you just see just amazing things happening. And uh, I'm often walking with my head up, you know, <laughs> looking at the uh, lo- looking at the performance, you know. And uh, I feel somehow how important this is to me, you know, and, and how much I love it. But there's a sense of incompleteness. Uh, I need to do something in order to complete this experience for myself. For yourself. I order to either write a poem I, or I want to do an artwork which will tell me that, yes, I do understand what I love so much. And give this is complete the experience or record the experience? Not that it matters, uh, it will, maybe. Uh, uh, recording the experience will also complete it. Mm-hmm. Without recording it, it is not complete. It mm-hmm. remains kind of uh, uh, beautiful and vague, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I I have an impulse that I want to, I want to understand it, you know, I want to know it, and then it is come, you know, then I'm 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 in, you know, greedily in total possession of it. So so I started by uh, wanting to depict clouds on a piece of paper, and. Uh, the first uh, obvious uh, way to do it is to take uh, ink, water, and a brush and dip your brush in ink and water and make uh, uh, masses because right. that's what, no, 
generally clouds are thought of as masses. Humanist yeah. clouds. Yeah. Yes. Uh, or, you know, even uh, or different kinds of clouds. You sure. Know? But generally masses. And something told me, no, don't do that. You uh -huh. know, it, it's not getting, it's not going to get you anywhere. Uh -huh. And I spend a lot of time, you know, figuring what should I do? Uh -huh. And finally, it, just instinctively, I picked up a pen or a pencil and started making discrete lines on the paper. Uh -huh. And I would make them at the rate of uh, five or six lines a day. And the next day I would pick up the paper again and add five or six lines more. And then I found over a course of, say, eight or ten sittings that these lines are beginning to weave together and become something. And uh, at a certain point, I felt instinctively, now I have to stop. And the drawing of the cloud is complete. But you were intentionally making a cloud from the I word get-go. I was, you I were. was. Now, this is an instinctual process. But somewhere along the line, I began to understand why I'm doing this. Mm. I, and, and I began to understand that what I've got on the paper now, which I call a cloud, and which if it were put up on an exhibition space, somebody might not call a cloud, mm. unless I were to title it. Mm. You mm. Know? The reason I say that this is a cloud is because a cloud is one thing in the, in the universe that has no final fixed form. Yeah. That in front of your eyes, it is forming and dissolving at the same time. Yeah. You know, unlike an apple, if I were to place on a table and paint it or draw it. I'm looking at the cloud and right there in front of my eyes, you know. Uh, it's adding on to itself and it's, and it's uh, subtracting from itself. And that's why those lines worked. Mm, mm. Because the lines came together and the lines drifted apart. So, Give, in this case, what... And this knowledge, mm. uh, the, the, the conscious knowledge of it came only... More As a result of that process. Through the process, yes. Mm. The process was instinctual. Mm. And when I finished this drawing, I said, ah, now the cloud is mine. And right. that's greed, if you like. Right, right. And if instead of you having to go through these eight or nine sittings and this somewhat, somewhat laborious process of getting there, if you were just told this fact a priori, would you have still gone through this process, if you know what I mean? Told what fact? This this fact that a cloud is essentially not fixed. It's changing and it's forming and dissolving at the same time. I must have known it. Yes, obviously. You know? Yeah, yeah. But I'm uh, not consciously, mm. not to not in not with total consciousness. Mm. So I was ignorant. Mm. Mm. And at the end of this process, I've acquired some knowledge. Mm. And w what about the poet in you? You, uh, you, would you yeah, have... I mean, this this particular example of the cloud is a very special example, and uh, no, because it so succinctly tells me right what my artistic process is right. Uh, I think that the artistic processes, as I said, are very varied, mm -hmm. and all kinds of different things come into the into play. Mm -hmm. So you know, in, in in while writing a poem, some of this might trigger. 
but then other things might also figure you know sure 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 so what what kind of ignorance is this uh, prajit what what is it that he was trying to figure out and there's a certain impulse driving the entire process there's a certain impulse of something lying around the corner i mean does a scientist go about doing things of this nature at all shobha when are, are you just driven by an impulse that something might be around the corner and i don't know what what exactly i'm doing i i find this example absolutely mesmerizing to imagine mm. um uh because um see this is one of the hardest thing i think for uh for a technical reason mm-hmm. is for us to capture the the image in our mind of dynamics right okay and you know i'm sort of taking the lovely words that give just said yeah. and i'm kind of making it more prosaic about yeah. a geometrical interpretation of what he just said yeah and i had never thought of it this way but once now that i hear it it makes total I'll sense i'll steal it completely yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank and, you <laughs> and um because all my life i have worked one way or another uh you, you know for the is is this old saying of another philosopher that the being is in its becoming mm. and uh, or you know unbecoming whatever i mean in that sense so i've always worked on problems of how collective objects which are which know of one another's presence when they're stationary you look at them yeah but when they're in motion they do not represent if you took now these you know stroboscopic images at different times of right. this motion you will begin to see patterns and interpreting these patterns in ter- terms of how they move together is one of the deepest questions uh, of physics you know how the galaxies form how the cloud forms how other objects form and we find try to find in the laboratory more controllable systems where we mm. can ask precise questions mm. and give i know more precise answer so that the next set of people can at least hang their hats on these but i think that this you know this description of knowledge of the cloud as he describes it mm. i think i would say you know it's like these revelatory yeah uh, things that you recognize that you have a mass but unless you could pictorially represent the matter of its formation and dissolution you have not captured the cloud yeah right and this happens this this absolutely happens and we go through these days image processing methods or representing methods but uh, this is not at all uh, dissimilar from many things that we do when we try to understand pattern pattern formation for example is a very very active area of work it's really at the frontier on mm. one side you know of statistical mechanics of driven systems these are words but mm. so mm. i have no no problem i just loved this example mm. because at the end you you also recognize that there is a knowledge that has 
now been created, mm. which it can be reused in some format, in some other way. Mm. Uh, you know, tr- starting with a mass and these lines, which indicate kind of a trajectory of motion is very, very deeply ingrained in our ways of trying to represent nature. Interesting. Why don't we maybe break up science up a little bit? Because again, like we were chatting a while ago, it's not one monolithic thing. Science is science and a lot of things kind of get clubbed under it. And in what fundamental ways are different subparts different from each other? And of course, it's, it's, a, it's a question that can take hours and hours and I totally get that. But, you know... Everything, lots of things get clubbed under science, and but some of them are quite distinct from the other. Like biology would kind of come to mind in some sense. Yeah. So I would use perhaps you know, um, sort of anecdotally because I have not, to be quite honest, I have not thought this through sure. very formally. Sure. You know? So not like a philosopher would have. So what I would say is that um, that uh, to me um, there is some commonality of science and the commonality of science is more uh, important or say for example the similarities between biology physics chemistry etc i'm leaving so what is common what is common is now not the establishing of the knowledge Mm -hmm. i mean not the creating of the knowledge but establishing as it as scientific knowledge the process of validation process of validation has a lot of commonality right would you agree with that prajit um not really Mm -hmm. Uh, part of the reason is that the way we would validate let's say in biology Mm -hmm. um is uh, quite often by intervening into the system, and uh, so uh, the inter- so what do you validate in biology? Uh, let us say like that a- you you want to be able to say that uh, certain kinds of uh, entities has certain kinds of properties in certain kinds of environment. Mm-hmm. Okay, the the only way you can validate that is to be able to show that uh, you intervene on the system, mm-hmm. and the intervention produces certain kinds of Results or effects. Okay. Now, um, by by doing that, you, as I was pointing out in the beginning, you produce a phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And the attempt is not so much to say that now here is an evidence as to that thing has that property or whatever. Because the system itself is a, a, in some sense, to use the term loosely, a bit, bit more complex than the kind of system that physicists would use. Or sure. for that matter, let's say physical chemists would use a lot more, you know, uh, um, sanitized system that the physicist or the physical chemist would use, which isn't something that the biologist would end up doing. And so, therefore, there is this. So, what is common between the sciences? You know, in the most fundamental way, the philosopher in you. Um, and it may it may be a tautological question because it's like saying what is science in a sense. Uh, Okay. Uh, what, what is common is is probably a, is as follows. Um, if we can, and this is a big if, if we can uh, um, have a sanitized system, then we can think of um, that particular discipline attempting to give us a representation of the world or the part of the world that it is studying. 
but if we can't, then the bets are completely off as to how we are uh, or whether we are actually representing a complex system of like a biological system or for that matter brain. Uh, because the kind of methodologies that we end up using is, uh, is sort of very interestingly dependent upon what we had learned earlier, but also trying out, much like a mechanic would try out with different tools that she has to make a new thing or to understand uh, a new machine, as it were, a new piece of machine. And I was thinking of this uh, nanoscience, nanotechnology, or nanobiotechnology. We make newer and newer entities. Right. And if this is part of the knowledge claims in nanosciences or biotechnology or nanobiotechnology and so on, then it, is, it, it, it isn't really very similar to uh, what um, Shobo would do, probably. Right. Although Shobo's thing, uh, I mean, his main interest seems to be condensed matter physics, and there, there are interesting things that happen, and uh, I would like to hear more from him probably now or later. But these are, these are scenarios which opens up a question about whether we have an unitary account of scientific knowledge, A, and this gets connected to the unitary account of understanding, mm -hmm. gets connected to the unitary account of whether we have got a method at all, I mean, unitary method. Mm -hmm. So, uh, mm. philosophers of science in the last 200 years or so have taken physics as their model. Right. And physics, that too, in a very sanitized sense of physics, which is Newtonian physics. And uh, so, it's a reductionist model that had played a very important role in working out a philosophy of science and therefore the scientific methodology. Or How about the that, Shobo? Does most of science look like physics to you? Or... Can, is reducible to physics in many ways, at least some parts of it? Yeah, I mean, there are two questions here. I think this is a very, very interesting point that we have now arrived at. And that what I would say is this, that um, uh, there's a, f a famous saying by uh, Rutherford that all of science is either physics or stamp collecting. <laughs> okay. And... Um, and I think that the one understands the reason behind mm. it, and the, the thing behind it is what I'd like to call the reductionist dogma. Sure. And I use the word dogma consciously. Sure. Because, so the, basically it goes like this. What is X? Oh, X is made out of three Ys. Yeah. What is a Y? It's made out of seven Zs. Yeah. Now, for a long time... Um, you, we have seen the advantages of this description as an answer. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but it's merely a description. Yeah. So, in some deep way, I don't see that the, there is that much difference between quark-gluon description of subatomic particles and the periodic table of elements. Sure. Okay, it's roughly the same. Okay, it's just another level where you are answering these questions. And clearly the way you're going, it looks like you find that there's something incomplete about this approach. Correct. So now what I would say is that now, that now that you know that there are quarks and gluons and you know there are electrons and neutrinos and all those things, give me a, give me a zebra. No. Just make me a zebra out of this knowledge. If they are and, the most fundamental, you should be able to get to a zebra. Yeah. No. And the statement, uh, the, uh, the, I mean, there is 
a respectable answer to this mm -hmm. that the zebra is obtainable in principle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So therefore, it is not necessary to look at how they're put together. And uh, physicists have struggled for 50 years with two issues. One issue is what Prajit called sanitized. And right. I think it's a rather nice word, and let's stay with this word sanitized. I would like to have called it ideal. Right. Ideal means simple. So we have struggled with two notions. One is how to build something complex out of something simple, how mm -hmm. to make a whole out of its parts, mm -hmm. and how to deal with the fact that nature is not ideal the way we would like to imagine because our math gets simpler. Nature has no need to satisfy your imaginary world. It sure. is what it is. Sure. And so these, we have fought with reductionism and ideality. Mm -hmm. There is another frontier of physics, and that is called emergence mm. and disorder. Mm. Disorder is lack of order, Mm. And emergence is this is, is broadly describes properties of a collection of objects sure. which you could not have imagined from the behavior of the individual components. But Shobha, would we need both of these to get from the uh, neutrinos and the gluons to the zebra? Well, Reductionism as well as emergentism? Yeah, so it is like, you know, how do you bridge back? You know, tearing yeah. something down. Yeah. You are, you know, going along the thermodynamic energy chain, entropy sure. chain in some way. Putting it back together is entirely different. Yeah. If I break a piece of glass... Yeah, reductionism is not the same as... Then putting that glass back way. together, yes. that jigsaw puzzle back together, you can see there are so many options that your space of search space is so large yeah. that it's a non-trivial, intellectually non-trivial yeah. problem of putting it together. So therefore, you know, I would say that there are, uh, there is a huge advantage of taking the sanitized version mm -hmm. because sanitized version gives you something that nobody needs to rethink. It's right mm -hmm. under those circumstances specified. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So these are stable objects, stable knowledge about which we know a lot. Okay. And that's a very important aspect. It's only in the 1950s that we began to even ask the question of what if it, the system is impure? So I have sodium chloride crystal. Suppose I put a magnesium somewhere. Right. What does it do? Right. Why does diamond have color centers? Right. You know, these kinds of questions come from defects. But uh, I, those are maybe not very important answers, but sure. these are just some questions. Sure. Then I'll make another you know, point about this. And that is, what is a progress in knowledge? And how does the new knowledge depend on old knowledge? Does it invalidate old knowledge? Does it supplement old knowledge? Sure. Okay. And so again, I'll use uh, the words of uh, you know, a famous person, Richard Feynman. He said, every new advance of knowledge not only explains something unexplained, but explains something explained only much better. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So 
it is in that sense what I, what I think I'm trying to get at as, um, is that, that, you know, the process of arriving at these knowledges, you know, why was the sanitized version important is because we subject ourselves to many things, constraints. Our imagination is constrained by doubt, by skepticism, um, by, you know, verifiability, self-consistency, things have to be falsifiable, otherwise, what's the point? Uh, we need empirical evidence. So, this, the space in the imagination is heavily constrained by things on which you can hang your hat. Right. Okay. So, it's... I mean, what I, you know, why the reason I said that the difference between the sciences are not very different, it comes from the fact that these elements are common. Biology is different from physics in the fact that it departs from sanitized version to such a level that simple models, simple ideas do not have very little utility. And utility is important. If utility tells you whether the knowledge is useful. But again, yeah. ideas of reductionism or model organisms, I mean, they are kind of methodological similarities. A large way. number yeah. of physicists are becoming biologists today. Sure. <laughs> the traffic is completely yeah. that way. Yes, yes. And for a very good reason. Yeah. Much, yeah. many more things today, unlike you know, physicist traits. Is it, claiming, is it desirable to make biology as pristine as physics? I mean, is it, or is it is it possible? Forget desirable, am I to ask that question? I mean, 200 years out, is it likely that biology would be um, sanitized in your words, idealized in his words? Um, I, 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 it's not the happening of it, but the understanding right. of it. I, I, I doubt that that can happen because uh, I think what what's... The, 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 the reductionist strategy that he talked about mm -hmm. seems to be something that wouldn't work in biology. And in fact, uh, what, he, what he was pointing out actually opened up some, some other interesting question and gets connected to both emergence in some way and uh, um, another feature of uh, different kinds of phenomena that we come across. And I'll give you examples. Yes. One is, and this is uh, phrased as um, downward causation. Sure. Okay. Downward or backward causation. Uh, yeah. The backward is different. Okay. At the, at, the, at the gross level, you can have backward causation. Downward sure. causation is that... System so, impacting the part. System in, impacting the part. The whole impacting okay, the part. Right. Yeah. And uh, this actually then undercuts the reductionist program. Yes. Because in the reductionist program, the causality moves from the parts to the, to the whole. To the whole. Mm. Okay, so this this is something which which would rec uh, probably have a great impact in the way the science actually would be done or is being done. Uh, another thing that I want to put on the table, and I hope Shobhu tells us something, which is if you look at the nano entities, mm -hmm. the nano entities had sort of thrown us completely off the track because you have nano particles whose properties you just couldn't predict. Uh, that it would be such and such. I mean, it is extremely surprising. And one needs to work out whether a reduction strategy would work or... and uh, Because this is not an emergent property kind of a scenario. 
right? We yes. are going down the level yeah. to the yeah. microscopic and yeah. suddenly you find it has properties which the gross objects doesn't have and its individual entities don't have. Yeah. So it's a kind of a meso-level system and uh, we, I, I hope Shobosh sort of tells us how the faces sort of grapple with these very interesting sets of issues. And this will also get connected to the biological system. Mm. Mm. Right. I mean, there, mm. are, there are therefore scales mm. that's involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And one last thing, and with that I'll shut up for a while, <laughs> and which is that what I found uh, gives a uh, uh, talk fascinating for myself is that it, it opened up a possibility of thinking uh, um, in a different way the notion of tacit knowledge. Because towards the end, he was saying that, look, this knowledge was already with me. Right. And it was sort of unconsciously playing out. So it is not a formal knowledge that we recognize. And the interesting question is that uh, uh, if it is a form of tacit knowledge, that this is something that he can't you know, pass on he can't to others. Pass on. Mm. Whereas mm. in sciences, there are tacit knowledge which you can pass on by rubbing shoulders with the you know, expert. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we, we uh, give. I think it may be interesting here because we've asked this question a few times about science and what is science and what constitutes science and what is inside and outside. When are there things that you look at and say this is not art? You know what I mean. I mean, I, I, and I don't mean it for a painting for a specific painting, but what is art? If you know what I mean. I mean, is, does it just have to do with this tacitness of things? Does it have to do with this non-transferability of things? Does it have to do with... Um... Uh, uh, yeah. Because I mean, you and Shobo seem to have established that there is some kind of a creative urge which scientists and artists... You are asking in, in, me specifically, uh, is there such a thing which, is, which you say is not art? Is that what you're asking me? No, I think we're trying to ask the parallel question of what is science? Uh, we're just trying to ask a parallel question of what is art. Um, and we're trying to wonder whether or not to club biology in a certain place and otherwise, and what what do the various... I mean, of course, now there, there are different kinds of art, right? I mean, it's not just painting, it's painting, sculpture, well, dance, yeah, literature, and literature yeah, poetry. Now, what's common amongst all of them? I think um, I'll kind of uh, answer reverse. Yeah. Like, and this is something that I often say yeah. to my friends and sometimes to, to, to students. Yeah. I say that predictability is the kiss of death in art. <laughs> okay. So you uh, mean in the sense of it, it, it necessarily being non-formulaic? Uh, no, I think it's very complex and, and very wide. But if I try and kind of, you know, articulate it as simply as I can, mm. uh, I must l- read a poem or a novel or see a painting or listen to some music and f- say to myself, ah, you know, uh, I didn't know this. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh but I also have to feel that this knowledge that I am obtained is not zany. Mm-hmm. That there is that it uh, 
that is very close to something I should have known, but that I didn't. And now, because this man has written this poem, he has held my hand and taken me there. So for you, this completing the circle business is very important, isn't it? It appears so. <laughs> yeah, lots of incomplete circles, which somehow some of these things help you complete in some way. Some of them. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, which is why you know um, uh, when artists flog a theme, you know, like in the seventies, uh, there was so much. Marxism, or no, right. in in the writing and in the painting, and you'd look at it and you'd say, "Yeah, but I know it." You know? Right. I mean, why should I look at this painting? You know. Right. You know. Right. Uh, unless there's something else, some little thing else there. I'm not saying that everything needs to be, uh, you know, unpredictable. Right. Uh, there will always be a mixture. There'll be some areas of predictability, uh, but. There'll be an essential, an important, unpredictable element, mm-hmm. which will be all important. And I mean, and without that, you know, uh, there's nothing. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Or if today, you know, uh, the uh, art, so much art, you know, which is constantly. Sobbing over uh, political tragedies all over the world, you know. Uh, I I don't need to look at a painting or a poem for that. I go to a newspaper, you know, or a, <laughs> or a television uh, program. So, so for me, that to make it art, uh, okay. I mean, we all sob about political tragedies, sure, <laughs> and 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 genuinely we sob. For them, so some but, of those, but, some but, of them but are, I want the yeah. artist to to give me one little thing, you know, extra, which that one thing which tells me, uh, aha, kind of, you know, yeah, yeah, I understand, you know, yeah, 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 a little more now today. So maybe those paintings are political acts and not, uh, yeah, maybe I don't know. That's maybe, okay. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> Why don't we ask a brand new question? How do new disciplines come to be? Like five hundred years out, I mean, surely there will be disciplines none of us have a clue about today, and we're not suggesting well, that we uh, just cinema. Uh, say, yeah, uh, uh, is a is a new discipline in the uh, which came up in the twentieth century. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the twenty first century, and and I believe that cinema is the greatest art form. Of the twentieth and twenty-first centuries, yeah. that the abundance of knowledge that we have obtained through cinema—I uh, mean, no other art form has quite given it to us. Perhaps music. Mm. Mm. It, it, yeah, I think what's what's amazing about cinema is that it's also a little bit of a mega discipline. It just captures so much within it. Yeah, how do new disciplines come to be, Rajit? Um, which, which which is the newest kid on the block, discipline-wise? Reasonably, yeah, the newest reasonably kid formed. Yeah, 
uh, are, 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 as I would always call this, convergent technologies or convergent technosciences, which is biology, um, nanotechnology, or biotechnology, nanotechnology, information technology, and uh, cognitive science. Can we agree on this? Shobha, what is the newest kid on the block, discipline-wise? Okay, maybe... Again, um, not a factual I'll, question. I'll just take two points that both Prajit and yeah. uh, give made, which I resonate with me. So maybe I'll start with nano. Mm-hmm. So nano comes from the word nanometer. Yeah. Nanometer is 10 angstrom. Minus nine. Mm-hmm. 10 angstrom. Typical atomic sizes are about a few angstroms. So nano is special... Not for mysterious reasons. Nano is the scale at which if you take a block of nanomaterial, the atoms on its surface will be nearly equal to the atoms to in its interior. Right. If you take a one centimeter block, the atoms in the interior will so overwhelm the number on the surface that that determines the property of that material. Right. So when surfaces, because they are in a different neighborhood, and we understand people's behavior at the edges of neighborhoods, depending on who your neighbor is, interior, they have the same neighbors. Exterior, they don't. And that's the essence of nanoscience. So in that sense, conceptually, nanoscience is not mystery. It is the fact that this quantity called Avogadro's number is an extremely large number, 10 raised to 24. Yeah. If the Avogadro's number were 17, the universe would look entirely different. Yeah. So artificially, we are creating systems where the number is small. In statistical terms, probability is also scientific. So in statistical terms, when <laughs> square root of n is comparable to n, yeah. then you begin to realize that statistical descriptions fail. What nanoscience has given us is a window of engineering new materials with newer property that we could not have done before. I'll give you an example. Cadmium sulfide in different particulate form, put it in some solution, look like gold or silver, bronze, whatever. That depends on quantum mechanical understanding very, very well as to why they do this. This is not alchemy. Mm. Mm. Alchemy says everything can be turned into gold. Mm. Nanoscience said that I can make some things look like gold. Mm. Okay. Mm. So nanoscience is a technological marvel in terms of making new things that you mm. didn't think you could make. Mm. But scientifically, fundamentally, they pose, I would say, very little surprise. Would you, would you, would you give nanoscience the tag of a, to, of a distinct discipline? No, it's a... Not uh, that we... Not that, uh, I would say that it's a question. new discipline for a whole host of professional opportunities. Sure. It is philosophically, fundamentally, scientifically is not such a big new business. Okay? Uh, computers today are sufficiently large that you can compute the consequences of what these things will look like in a computer. Having That's said fine. that, mm. let me go back to this business of music mm. because this has puzzled me no end. Mm-hmm. And for art, as for music, and this was like, again, a revelatory moment in University of, in Art Institute of Chicago, there was this Picasso uh, retrospective. Uh, and as you can imagine, huge. Mm. And I started looking 
you know, time-wise, temporal evolution of this one man who produced enormous amount. Mm. And I would have to say this retrospective gives you a point of view about the progression of an artist, which mm. you cannot go at all get by looking at one. Mm. You know? And what I'm saying is this is true of music. I think you, all, all of us who like, I like Hindustani music, we mm. can go to a music concert and I think many of us will agree whether the concert was a good one or a bad one. Yeah. But if you take people who have never been to a classical music, they would be bewildered. So I would say that, you know, the what is art, you asked him, you know, realistic art is easier for you to appreciate how realistically it represents what you see. Sure. There is a limit to what it can do in terms of newness, repeat, you know, it repeats itself, right? So if you look at, at least in the Western art, if you look at the historical progression, at least to me, it seemed, that it went along a way that I can, in hindsight, understand. Impressionism, then abstract art. I mean, they didn't just fall from the sky. They moved in a human scale, with human perception, human understanding. And I would say that, you know, these things can should not be just, just because I don't like it, it's not something. It requires effort, commitment, persistence. And then the, the beauty of science, of yeah. art, of mathematics, of philosophy, of all these things come together. Yeah. So in that sense, I would say biology is a complex problem. Mm -hmm. But it is not qualitatively a different activity. Like, say, something I might vaguely call faith of another kind. Faith also exists in, in, in science. That's right. Uh, you know, Why don't we spend the last few minutes thinking about the future? What is a brand new discipline likely to look like? To any of you, to a brand new kind of art, to a brand new kind of science, to a brand new kind of non-art, non-science. Um, any my, way of... My very quick one minute answer yes. is that I'm easy, I'm, I'm more comfortable saying what will not be distinct disciplines. Mm -hmm. You know, the word discipline in Sanskrit is called shrinkala. Shrinkala. Mm. Shrinkala comes from the word shrinkal. Shrinkal means chains. Okay, so There's a link from one to the other. Yeah, no, I, I think of it as a chain, like which imprisons you. <laughs> so discipline <laughs> chains you. Okay, that's the way I interpret the word shrinkle. But shrinkle is a chain, sure. Yeah, it's, sure. it's a chain. Sure. Okay, so I take the, the negative meaning. Sure, yeah. sure. Discipline is a matter not of philosophy. It's a matter of encapsulating knowledge to be passed on because of an ultimate constraint that we live for a short period of time. Youth <laughs> lasts for a short period of time. And you need to... So it's a knowledge transfer issue as opposed knowledge to knowledge transfer issue. requires disciplines to be formed. So UGC uh, <laughs> is not entirely, um, uh, you know, mindless. But, uh, what do you, what so, do you say to that? That's, that's all I have to say. Um, I'll, I'll just be, say something a little different, although quite agreeing with him the way he has put it. and Because what I was asking myself as I was listening to him was, uh, how is the discipline possible? 
Yeah. And the way to make the first step, baby step, probably would be to ask, how do we, in a pre-theoretic sense, carve out nature? Yeah. And if you look at the history of uh, in production of human knowledge, we, we made different kinds of carving out at different places, across different cultures, different times, and so on. And each therefore produced a different sense of discipline. Yeah. And if that has any, this, this historical point has any bite, then there is a certain kind of contingency. Now, if you're asking for 500 years down the line, what will happen? I really don't know. But 100 years down the line, I am pretty sure that this 21st century is going to be the century of materials, various kinds of materials, mm -hmm. which will have various kinds of applications. It's in this context I, I was talking about techno-science. Right. Um, so that would be my right. sort of, you know, five penny worth of comment at this point. Right, right, right. Sorry, what is the question? <laughs> the question, gave is that... I mean, is there a way in which cinema could have been anticipated 500 years ago? Maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe there, I mean, there were elements of optics, elements of camera lucida and all of that. But So what is a totally new kind of art likely to be like? Maybe there's an answer, maybe there's no answer. That's that's totally fine. Um, but, and, but the question is broader. I don't think okay, I want to yeah, put you under the yeah, header of okay. art necessarily. Okay, the question me, is really one of discipline. Question, you know? Let me say that in art at least, there's such a thing as recycle recyclability mm -hmm. you know what does that mean uh, it means that uh, I mean I'm I'm not really contradicting my earlier statement you're free to of, if you uh, want of, to of predictability being the kiss of death yeah, yeah I'm not contradicting it when I say that uh, painting a portrait of a human being will always be legitimate. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. And uh, again, you know, uh, this question of like, will it, will it be great art if in the 22nd century somebody just does a portrait of a friend? Yeah. You know? Or will it not be a great? Will it not be great art? You know, I mean, these questions that's actually don't bother question. me. Yeah, yeah that's because a market I, question. I, yeah, because I sometimes feel that uh, the the little masters, mm. you know, can uh, give us things that the grandmasters don't. Mm. Of course, the grandmasters always give us things, you know, to you know, which we value. But but even the little masters, you know contribute wonderful things you know and and that adds to our, our 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 appreciation of the world and our knowledge of the world so i i think that the portrait will never die yeah how did you i mean how do you understand the notion of legitimacy the legitimacy of the portrait in the 22nd century will be again the same kind of things that i would you know even a portrait will make you sit up and that is a portrait, you know, which is legitimate. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, uh, there will be that. As that it will there'll be that iota of unpredictability in it. Right. Or right. there'll be that iota of, you know, something that, uh, you know, you are saying something to the portrait, and the portrait says something back to you, and the two clinch. Good. I think that's a good note to end this on. Thank you so much to all of you for making it, and we look forward to having you soon again. Thank you. Thank, Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.